This podcast may include some content that's not suitable for children. I honestly can't remember. Hello, welcome to Unsolicited Thoughts. This is episode 11, Legs 11, if you're a a bingo fan, if you're that way inclined. Um, Shout out to my grandma and the other bingo heads at Hockham's Care Home. Gobble, gobble, gobble. That's uh, a little in-joke for the Turkey and Tinsel crew. Uh, I stood in for Rich, the uh, the usual bingo caller at Hockham's one week uh, a few years ago now, and um, yeah, well, well, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but man, that crowd is fierce. Um, I have never been heckled like that, not even at my own wedding. And the language uh, that the residents were using—I know they're old, I know they're a, a different generation—but I just don't think um, that excuses some of the slurs that they were using um there were some slurs that i had never even heard before i had to google them afterwards and yeah that's a big mistake because that's now part of my digital footprint um i'll never get rid of that um but uh in an effort to reduce the um slurring um they did introduce a slur jar at hockham's care home um whereby the residents had to put money in uh, into this jar every time they used a slur. Um, that quickly paid for the new minibus, uh, and it also paid for someone to come in and run some sessions with the residents, addressing the language and just sort of educating them on what is and is not appropriate. Um, the issue of those slurs and that language is, is by no means resolved, um, but uh, this is about perseverance and progress. Um and I already feel like Hockham's care home is already a more pleasant and inclusive place. Uh, apart from on age, obviously, it's still fairly exclusive in terms of age, it being a care home and all. Um, yeah, the introduction of that slur jar got me thinking, um, you know, maybe jars as sort of recompense for sins um, is the way forward. So I ended up introducing a jar um at home for every time i talked in the third person um which used to be quite a big issue that i had um with the eventual goal of that jar paying for a trip uh for me and my wife to chicago um i kind of missed the point at first so instead of actually reducing how much i talked in third person i ended up doing it more basically to get us to chicago more quickly um so we changed the goal so instead of a, a rewarding goal uh, like the trip to Chicago, um, we made the goal more of a punishment, something I, uh, something I dislike, I guess. Um, in this case, a tattoo of Jeremy Clarkson on the left side of my neck and a tattoo of Jeremy Kyle on the right side of my neck. No offense, uh, to the two Jeremys, but they're almost definitely my least favorite broadcasters. Um, if I'm getting any two broadcasters tattooed on my neck, it's going to be Alistair Cook and Joan Bakewell for sure. Um, Anyway, yeah, the point being that by introducing the the third person jar, um, yes, we didn't go to Chicago, but uh, I also didn't get the tattoos, um, and it did massively reduce uh, how much I talked in the third person. Um, yeah, I pretty much stopped and haven't really sort of relapsed since. But um, if you have ever experienced the the buzz, the high of talking in the third person, then you'll know that. That urge is always there. It never really leaves you. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, moving on. Uh, a little bit of follow-up. Um, first thing to address, uh, people do not like Diabolos. Um, 
after I talk about I talked about uh, Diablos in last week's episode, I've had a lot of emails and messages filled with pure flaming vitriol. Sounds like a drink. Um, targeting Diablos. Um, ever the contrarian. Uh, it's really just spurred me on to buy a new Diablo. Um, that arrived this morning. I had a quick spin with it, and yeah, those things are tough. I've definitely lost my touch. Um, quickly established that my wife is also not a fan of Diablos, so. I've promised her that I'll I'll only practice when she's out of the house and um I'll only ever do it at the very bottom of the garden. Um there was also much more sympathy for the bee than for me. So we obviously have a lot of bee fans um and a lot of Diablo haters. That's something to remember for the next listener survey poll uh, maybe. Um I also said I would update you on how myself and Graham um from Shropshire are getting on with our sexy rom-com uh valentine's baby based very roughly on graham's experience as a, a baby born on valentine's day in his case valentine's day 1944 um yeah i have some bad news the project is yeah i would say on an indefinite hiatus myself and graham didn't exactly see eye to eye on the creative direction of the project i was more keen to go for something funny and sweet uh, a richard curtis sort of uh vibe gary marshall sort of vibe but um graham kept trying to inject some kind of political drama that for me just didn't really fit um graham as i said last week is a parish council and i think the whole hoo-ha with hanford parish council is sort of i think it went to his head a little bit and he spent most of our um ideas brainstorming session basically explaining over and over again exactly why jackie weaver had no authority um i really don't care graham um anyway yeah so the project it may go forward at some point um it's not it's by no means dead and buried but uh graham will no longer be involved alas amen um right before we move on to hearing more uh from reuben and his flying car seat i've probably got time for a quick listener question we'll just try one Okay, here goes. Uh, this question is from Carol in Hove. She asks, was the current format always your vision for the podcast? Uh, no, Carol. I um, I briefly explored more of a true crime route. Um, the title was The Missing Bin Man. Uh, basically, when our rubbish is collected each week, one bin man arrives on foot before the bin lorry and piles up all the bin bags in one place to make it easier for the, the bin man who are on that lorry to, to gather them up and uh, throw them in the back of the lorry. Um Towards the end of last year, I was going for a walk and noticed uh, a bin man's fluorescent jacket on top of the large pile of bin bags. So I began asking, what happened to the bin man? Um, I asked my wife. She didn't know. Uh, I asked the neighbours. They didn't know. Um, I then inquired with the council. Never heard back. Uh, I then approached the bin men the next week and asked them. They looked at me like I was crazy. Um, and by that point, my mind was in overdrive. Um, plus, I'd recently been made uh, redundant. So... I had the time and the, the inclination to fill my time with something that I felt was important. Uh, anyway, yeah, the deeper I went with my questions and inquiries, the more dismissive people became. Um, it was as if no one really cared. Uh, then I looked inside the jacket. Um, I still have the jacket here in my house. In fact, it's hanging up in the closet where I'm recording this. I can practically touch it. Uh, I can literally touch it. Um Anyway, when I looked inside the jacket, it had a name label sewn to the inside. It belonged to someone called Violia. Um, I made an assumption that this was a woman's name. And my mind started racing with a completely different question. Where are the bin women? Um, I asked my wife. She didn't know. 
Uh, I asked the neighbours, they didn't know. I then inquired with the council and uh, never heard back. I then approached the bin men the next week and asked them and they looked at me like I was crazy. And by that point, my mind was in overdrive. Uh, plus, I'd recently been made redundant, so I had the time and the, the inclination to fill uh, my time with something that I felt was important. Um, anyway, the deeper I went with my questions and inquiries, the more dismissive people became. Um, it was as if people didn't really care. Um, and that was basically where we got to when I decided it might be easier um, to just try something a bit more loose and rambly. Um, I'm no detective. I'm no investigative journalist. Um I don't have the attention span or the stamina. Um, if there are any detectives or investigative journalists listening, uh, hit me up for the case files. Let's let's try not to let this case go cold. Um, right, yeah, uh, it's time for the continuing adventures of Ruben and his flying car seat. These are the stories I wrote when I was a child, all about a young boy flying around in his children's car seat. Um, we had a lot of readers itching to hear part two of A Strange From The Past and such was the demand. I'm giving you not just part two, but part three. That's the final part as well, you lucky, lucky people. Um, if you haven't heard part one, then I suggest you go back to last week's episode and listen because I'm not going to keep stopping and explaining things. Um, if you did hear part one, then hopefully you remember that we ended on something of a cliffhanger as Ruben faced down two uh, creepy looking strangers on the high street. Um, so yeah, this is part two of A Stranger From The Past. The man and woman edge closer to Ruben. I've got bonbons and fruity whizzers. Little bits of saliva sprang free from the man's yellowing crooked teeth and landed on Ruben's forehead. Yeah, we've got choco minutes and sour rainbows. All a little boy like yourself's favourite cheese. You're a little boy, aren't you? The woman's voice fluctuated between a growl and a squeak. Ruben nodded. He was not ashamed by his effeminateness. He was born with eyelashes and cuticles that most people pay a lot of money for. And a lovely little boy that you are. It's quite hard to do that voice. Um, It didn't matter how friendly and reassuring the woman tried to be. Reuben knew he was not safe with these two. The man reached out and put his hand on Reuben's shoulder. The woman crouched down and gripped his fingers. How could Reuben escape now? Reuben could see the car seat in the distance. It was at times like this that Reuben wished that the car seat was sentient, able to sense the impending danger and fly over to rescue him. But alas, it was just the child's car seat. Yes, a child's car seat that had magical powers of flight, and a very comfy car seat too, but still just a car seat that could fly, but not feel or perceive things. What are you looking at, little boy? The creepy man asked. The man and woman both turned to follow Reuben's eyeline. He felt their grip loosen. Instinctively, Reuben pulled himself free. The woman tumbled forwards, still trying to hold on to Reuben. The man span around and desperately lunged forwards, but Reuben had created enough separation, and the man's fingertips could only brush Reuben's hood. What was the quickest way to get back to the car seat? Ahead of him was the still-bustling crowd. Behind him were the creepy man and woman. Reuben saw one opportunity. The number 37 bus pulled into the bus stop ahead. The number 37 was a double-ender, a bus that has doors at the front and rear. The rear doors were still open. Reuben leapt on board and sprinted towards the front of the bus. He glanced back and saw the creepy man leaning in through the rear doors and watching him. People on the bus were eyeing him suspiciously. Another little vagabond, is what they were likely thinking. As he approached the front, the driver leant out of his booth and stared Reuben down. You better have a ticket, young man! The driver's voice boomed. It was deep and authoritative. Reuben knew he needed to keep going, but he felt slowed down by the embarrassment and shame. He didn't have a ticket. The creepy man was moving down the aisle behind him. Through the window he could see the creepy woman barging through the crowd towards the front of the bus. There was no time to wallow in his guilt, and, 
imminent danger being the great cleanser of the soul that it is, he sprinted on, past the driver, past the passengers waiting to board, before leaping through the front doors of the bus, just ahead of the creepy woman. He darted forward, swerving past the dog, squatted on the pavement doing a large, steaming poo, and collapsed into the car seat. Before he was even properly strapped in, the car seat zoomed upwards and away, leaving the creepy man and woman screaming in frustration, and the dog still pushing one out on the street below. As the seat continued upwards, Reuben squeezed his arms through the loops and haphazardly clipped himself in. Every exertion was a struggle. He tried to catch his breath. So much time sat in the car seat had made his stamina and lung capacity worryingly poor. He was gasping, the cold frigid air difficult to inhale. He closed his eyes. All he could see were the creepy man and woman leering at him and the dog relieving itself and the angry bus driver. Although Reuben knew that rationally he hadn't actually rode on the bus, by the rule of law he was now a fair dodger, bang to rights. Nothing more than a common criminal. The shame hit him hard. It was the first time he had committed a crime on British soil. Was he really any better than the creepy man or woman who tried to abduct him? Or the owner of the dog who was letting it poo in the middle of a busy high street? Obviously, the answer was yes. But, in his turmoil, Reuben wasn't thinking straight. He began to hyperventilate. He felt dizzy. How he could have done with the creepy man and woman's sweets now. All those tasty bonbons and fruity whizzers and choco winnets and sour rainbows. He licked his lips and with his tongue still hanging out of his mouth, passed out. Ba-ba-ba! Another cliffhanger. Um, so Reuben has got away from the uh, the would-be child abductors and the pooing dog, but now he has passed out whilst flying in his magical car seat. Uh, where will he end up? Well, uh, find out after the break when I'll be reading the final part of A Stranger from the Past. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, in part two of A Stranger from the Past, Reuben had just escaped the evil clutches of the creepy man and woman who tried to abduct him, but he had passed out whilst flying in his car seat with his tongue still hanging out. Um, so yeah, here's the final part of A Stranger from the Past. Reuben jerked forwards, that feeling as if you're falling that you get when you're drifting off to sleep, but was tugged back by the car seat restraints. He slowly opened his eyes, squinting as he took in his surroundings. It was a long, straight street, lined with huge trees that hung over the road. Small shafts of sunlight shot down through the branches. Set back from the pavement were huge stone-built houses. Where was he? Something about this leafy street felt familiar. Reuben unclipped himself from the car seat and wearily lurched forward, staggering onto his feet. He steadied himself, then raised his arms and stretched upwards, feeling his muscles lengthen and his joints loosen. A tingle ran down his body as his ribs and spine unfurled themselves. Blood rushed to his head and he briefly felt the world tilt one way, then the other, then eventually level out. Reuben was happiest in his car seat, but right now, in this moment, he just wanted to be able to move freely and feel the ground beneath his feet. Then he was hit by a dull, throbbing pain. His tongue was still hanging out of his mouth. By now it was completely dry and uncomfortably swollen. He tried to move it, but the tongue was heavy and limp. He used his hand to gently roll it up and back into his mouth. He needed a drink, and he needed it fast. Reuben could hear children's voices and laughter from further down the street. He walked to the curb and looked out. Just up ahead were a group of children playing in the road. He started walking towards them. Reuben noticed their unusual clothes. The girls were in flowery smock dresses, embellished with frills and lace. The boys were wearing baggy shorts with socks up to their knees. Why were they dressed like this? Then he noticed the games. There were skipping ropes discarded on the grass verge. The boys were messing around with toy pistols, and the girls were skipping across a hopscotch court that they had marked out in chalk on the road. Where were the Game Boys? Why were they not inside eating sweets and playing on their Sega Mega Drives on such a beautiful sunny day? 
These poor children look so healthy and happy. Then something else hit Reuben, far more bizarre than how pleasant and functional these children seemed. They were moving in slow motion, and their voices echoed as if coming from a great distance away. Reuben tried to call out to the children, but his tongue just flopped out of his mouth, and the words fell out in a garbled, unintelligible mess. He sounded drunk, or in a massive K-hole. He wondered, had the creepy man and woman slipped him something? But how? When would they have had the chance? No doubt the sweeties they offered him were laced with drugs, but he was sure he didn't touch those sweets. Maybe this was all a dream. He pinched himself, but it just felt like someone was pinching him. No bueno. He called out to the kids again, but still they didn't hear. They carried on playing. Then Reuben noticed her, one of the girls. He knew her face. The distinctive angular cheekbones, the sky-blue eyes, the bunched-up freckles and the unruly eyebrows, just like his own. And the hair. Strawberry blonde, naturally curly, pulled back in a headband. It was just like his too. He ran his fingers across the bushy slugs above his eyes. Their eyebrows were exactly the same. Then he reached up further and touched his hair. He was wearing that exact headband. It was unmistakable. The little girl was... Mama! Reuben exclaimed, his tongue still useless. That was grandma, in case you weren't sure. Yes, it was his grandma as a child. He had seen a photo. He had seen a photo on this street. He looked to his right. There was the house in the photos. His great-grandma and granddad's house. He felt a surge of excitement, then a surge of confusion, then a surge of anxiety, like a squiffy tummy after a delicious meal. How had he got here? Was the car seat as well as being able to fly now able to time travel too? It's one thing trying to fly to America. It's a whole other thing to travel back in time. How would he explain this to his mum and dad? But the complicated rush of emotions and thoughts Reuben was having was suddenly interrupted. The children stopped playing. They all looked up, began pointing at the sky, only just visible through the trees. A siren rang out, terrifying and unmissable. The children ran in different directions, sprinting towards each of their houses. Reuben watched his grandma grab the hands of two of the younger children, that must have been her younger brother and sister, and dragged them up onto the pavement and towards the house. As they got closer to the house, their forms faded, as did the loud siren, until the street was empty and silent. What was happening? Reuben looked up at the sky. There was a noise in the distance, a gentle mechanical hum. The sun disappeared, everything got darker. The hum grew louder, becoming a high-pitched whirr. Then Reuben could see their shapes through the branches, shadowy and ominous, a formation of planes flying above, and a squeal, something falling through the sky, plunging towards the ground. The realisation hit Reuben with stomach-churning force. The Nazis. The end. Woo! They have it. Um, the final part of A Stranger from the Past. Quite a dramatic ending. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you were gripped and entertained. Um, I wrote this particular story, all three parts, for uh, a particular school project. So I thought uh, I'd just read some of the feedback from my teacher, Mrs. Bethesda. Um, without blowing me on trumpet, she does say overall very good. Uh, she also says it's very imaginative and... Um, that the idea of Reuben in his flying car seat is quite sweet. Uh, on a less positive note, she couldn't quite work out what happened between Reuben running away from the two creepy strangers uh, and ending up in the past with his grandma as a child. Um, she suggested I need to think a little more carefully about uh, my plotting. Um, that's fine. That's always been my fatal flaw. Um, she was also left frustrated by the unresolved ending, but that's just uh, my creative choice. That's my prerogative. Um, and she wondered if the dog pooing in part two was necessary. Again, that's my prerogative. Um, yeah, let me know your thoughts and feedback on all three parts of A Strange from the Past. Um, right, uh, I think that's quite enough unsolicited thoughts for today. I've actually got to go. I've got a date uh, with my dentist. Not an actual date, obviously. Um, that's both against the coronavirus rules and against the vows I made to my wife. Um, not specific to dating dentists, but just to not date other people. 
Uh, it's just not that sort of marriage, I hope. Um, plus, uh, a date where I pay the other person £4,000 to make my gums bleed is not my sort of date. I prefer uh, a burger, a milkshake, a movie, um, and then an extended dissection of that movie afterwards. Um, I should say uh, I'm going to be taking a few weeks, maybe a month or so, off. Um, so you won't be hearing from me or Unsolicited Thoughts uh, maybe till April. Um, I'm actually starting a new job next week, so just need to hunker down and focus on something other than listener questions as much as I love answering them. Um, before I go, today being the uh, 7th anniversary of my granddad's death, I thought I'd leave you with a little pearl of wisdom that he said to me literally moments before he kicked the bucket. Um, he said, mistakes are made for worth living. Um, it's something I've often repeated to myself through hard times. Um, some people are profound, some people are indecipherable, but rarely is someone both. So RIP Grandad, play the music. <laughs>